for me, first and foremost, it's to defend the principles of this great club, which is about offensive creative football, but with tactical discipline. I'll always give my life to trying to make the football club and to represent the city the best as I possibly can and, and hopefully over time I'll, I'll earn that respect. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index podcast. It's only been a few weeks since the season ended, but I've decided to bring you the show all summer. With plenty to talk about, Liverpool players at the World Cup, the transfer mercato in full swing, we're going to have loads to discuss. Saturday saw Real Madrid capture La Dissima, their 10th European Cup, and with recent years of Liverpool not being involved, we want to cover what it is we love most about European nights. What we've missed since the last adventure in the Champions League, what we're most looking forward to next year and our favourite memories of Liverpool and beyond. But there's more. We'll be discussing Brendan's new deal, plus all the latest speculation on players coming and going from Anfield. So we've brought you a bit of a diverse group tonight, some golden oldies such as uh, Brian Gerand and Jan gorski Uh Sorry, boys, no offence. And making <laughs> his long-awaited return, uh, Paul Dalgleish. So Rodgers signed a new long-term deal, and here's both what John Hendry and Tom Werner had to say. Brendan is at the heart of what we, as an ownership group, are trying to achieve on the pitch. This season has reaffirmed everyone's belief that we can bring football success to Liverpool and we're all committed to working together to achieve that. Players and supporters have made it clear how important Brendan is to our success, so we have to commit him to us for the long term and to have him commit to him for the long term is a great boost for everyone going forward. Reacting to the news, Roger said, I am both humbled and privileged to be offered the chance to extend my stay at this great club. I'm very happy to build on the foundations we have built over the last two years. And now we move on to the next phase, which I will believe will be as exciting, challenging and rewarding. I would like to place on record my thanks to the players, staff, who have all been brilliant for me since the day I started at this great football club. I'm grateful to our owners and our senior management team who have supported me and who share my vision on how we can progress in the field. Finally, I must thank the supporters who are at the heart of everything that we do. I'm honoured every day to lead this team and I thank the fans for their continued support as we continue together to strive and bring success back to Liverpool Football Club. So Paul, um, straight to you, Brendan's new deal, reportedly four years um, until 2018. Uh, I suppose, what's, what's your reaction? Oh, rightly so. You know, rightly so. It's been a memorable season. Uh, and and just like when your players have a, have a great season at, at at Liverpool Football Club, they, they become in demand to to people throughout the world, and and your manager's no different. And to get him tied up after after the performances last season is is huge. I mean, coming to you, Brian, lots of people doubted Rodgers and said he probably wasn't good enough for Liverpool. I mean, I suppose what what made it really really difficult, and I think for us fans as well as the the club itself, is he, he replaced Kenny. You know, he replaced a club legend. And if you consider what he's done since then, under the kind of pressure both of the expectation and of having to cut the wage bill, you know, it's kind of remarkable what he's done. You're absolutely right. Um, the problem he has, I think, a lot, a lot of people's eyes was, was a lot of people didn't want Kenny to go at the time, myself included. Um, but once that was done, you know, you've got to get behind the new man. 
he, he's, he's, you know, it's just won a trophy, but he's taken us so far. And it's not just on the pitch to me, it's, it's the whole feel around the club, you know. And again, and that, that some of that goes to, to Kenny Dalbeach as well, because we've been through a few years, you know, we got old codgers like me saying, oh, the atmosphere is not the same, you know, it's never going to be the same as it used to be on the cop. And since they put the seating in, you know, you're sort of always harking on about the good old days and the way the atmosphere used to be. And I, th- I think, you know, obviously this last season, they, they've got it back. The club's got a togetherness, you know, uh, and the atmosphere around the club, all that meeting the, the team outside on Amphire Road and the atmosphere against Man City and Tottenham and, and the Derby match, absolutely sensational. You know, it, it was as good for league games. It was as good as it ever was. You know, I, again, the first steps of that, we were at an all-time low under Roy Hodgson. <laughs> first steps of that, we're, we're, we're under Kenny, you know, that Man City semi-final. That was a fan, and it was only the League Cup, you know, you say only the League Cup. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it, it, it's, it's not on the top of everyone's wish list. But it was such a fantastic night in the atmosphere, and, and Kenny with his tears eyes, and Craig Bellamy, who re- retired last week, his performance that night. And that, that was almost the first step in bringing the atmosphere back in, and almost getting the club back to, to where it was. And, and you know, you know, John John Henry made the decision. Some people agreed with it, some people didn't. And looking back, you, you can't really fault the decision now. You, you, you certainly can't say it was a wrong decision, whether, whether you're prepared to say it was the right decision. It, we, we've moved on. You know, it, it could have gone wrong. It could have gone tits up for them, replacing the club legend the way they did. If it had gone wrong, you know, they'd have had serious egg on their faces. But it, it's gone swimmingly, to be honest. And... and I've been well impressed with his with his ethos. I've been well impressed with with the way he's adapted. You know, he started off with his ticket tacker tactics, and it was a little bit over the top. But you saw as as last season went on, not the season we just finished, his first season, you saw how how it was, he mixed it up a little bit. We started throwing a few more long balls in and mixing up. It wasn't he wasn't as you know as tied in his ways as we thought he might be. And again, this season he's shown so much adaptability about his tactics and there. As Paul says, once you get success, your best players and your manager, they're always going to, you know, there's such a high turnover of manager going to big clubs, you know, big clubs with money like PSG and Real Madrid, Barcelona. There's such a turnover of managers that you're always going to be at risk of losing them, you know, so to get him tied up is can only be good news. Jan, I mean, four years, it sounds like a kind of sensible approach. It's certainly not a Mike Ashley handing out seven-year deals for a, a fifth-place finish, but... I mean, four years, it seems to me that that's enough time to give a manager confidence that he does have time to take us to the next level and that he still has the continued backing of the board. What's your reaction? It's it's always a difficult balance to strike, isn't it, when you give a, a manager a new contract? Uh, the Ashley thing was actually eight years, which is... Uh, <laughs> that's just crazy. I mean, I, I would have been worried if they'd given him eight years, but I certainly believe he's deserving of a full new term which for me would be between three and five years, so four years is bang on the money. The first thing for me we have to think, uh, thinking what Brian was just saying, is it's easy to forget that less than four years ago we were on the brink of extinction. And yet uh, this season we've actually had some of our younger fans admittedly moaning that we didn't quite get the stretch to take the league title. Quite a few of them forgetting we're well ahead of where any of us, taking a more considered view, thought we would be by now. And when Brendan came in, um, I must admit I was I was another doubter. Um, I thought, oh, 
you know, God, blimey, we've got a, a learner driver behind a potential Ferrari. Okay, it's a very broken Ferrari at that stage. I thought, well, I want him to succeed. And I sort of tweeted that. I'd love him to succeed. I just don't know if he will. And his first six months were a struggle. Uh, he tried to impose a style on players, quite some of whom were not really up to it. Uh, I don't think myself he really was a pure tick attacker man because I think he was smart enough, uh, certainly hindsight seems to bear this out, to realise that tick attacker in its Barcelona style is a bit too slow for the league we play in. So you have to mix it up a bit. You have to be a bit more direct at times. Second half of that first season, I mean, from Christmas onwards, we hardly lost the game. We were sort of really beginning to pair and moat, and I think Coutinho and Sturridge coming in were central to this because they gave us speed, control, and it freed other people up to concentrate on their jobs. So I'm very happy that he's got this deal. Uh, it was always going to be a, a bit of a a kick in the backside for him having to replace Kenny. Uh, frank, frankly, they could have brought in, no, put big name manager here after Kenny and they'd have been plenty of doubters. Um, so, you know, I think he's done quite well. Uh, I think he's got a long way to go and he's, I think he's probably, probably going to get there, which I wouldn't have thought maybe a year ago. So, onwards and upwards, I'm quite happy with where we are. I'm quite happy he's got his deal. I just hope it uh, carries on the way it's going. Paul, I want to bring you in on this. You're obviously a coach. You're a young guy trying to make your way in the football world and you understand a lot about the day-to-day job of being a coach and the type of stuff you have to deal with. From what Rogers has done, I suppose a lot of people call him more a coach than a manager. And I was just wondering, from your take, one, how difficult is it to do to kind of lift a team from from seventh to second? And two, how you know, how do you start going about something like that? If you can sum up that briefly, I'll be greatly impressed. As you said, I mean, just going back to, to the comments earlier, it was my dad was ever only ever a, a short term solution to the problem at Liverpool. And, and, and as you said, they were in a they were in a terrible situation when he when he first took over and, and it, he, he's, there's nobody happier than him at the moment to see Liverpool having the success they have. Um, so it was, you know, there was no, there's nothing anybody should ever feel sorry for, you know, when, when, with regards to my dad because he's, he's in a great place at the moment. He's back working at the club and he's, he's happy. The most impressive thing for me with, with Brendan was he, he, when he first came in, um, he, you know, it, it takes. I've always said it takes players a year to get used to the pressure of expectation and to used to the size of of being involved at Liverpool Football Club. And it must be even harder for a manager to come in and, and deal be, with the pressures of of being in charge of of Liverpool Football Club and every single decision that you make, analysed, criticised, different opinions coming. Um, not just, not just in the media but on, on everywhere you know everywhere you look you, you're now under pressure when you're at Liverpool Football Club and, and for me the the most impressive thing for Brendan last year was he, he's really seemed to have have got used to the pressures of expectation and got comfortable with the pressure of expectation of being a Liverpool manager um, because it, I, I can I'm sure everybody I went there as 
a 19-year-old and even going into the reserves at, at 19, there's a pressure that's different playing for Liverpool than anywhere else. And and for me, it was when he went in, he he went in with his style of, uh, and, he, and he explained very well to, to the supporters the way he wanted to play. He got in and then he thought, I don't get the chance to implement a style at Liverpool. You know, the the, the criticism is probably too great to, to implement a style at Liverpool. You, you've got to win whilst you're implementing the style. And, and the most impressive thing for me was he never he, he sacrificed that a little bit this year to get his, his best players on the pitch, which was Suarez and Sturridge up front, playing central. And the success was was there for everybody to see. And, and, and for me, it showed great humility on, on Brendan's part to, to kind of to go away from what he kind of uh, said his principles were to make sure to make Liverpool as successful as possible, uh, and and he did that brilliantly last year, and I think it he deserves a lot of credit because it takes a lot of humility to do that. Right. So so Jan, j- just in terms of the obviously you're in France um, these days, following the the kind of team from abroad. What, what what's the kind of starkest thing that you've seen that Rogers has done in terms of the team? Has he done something that you didn't expect, or 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 you know we talked about his style of play. What what's notably different in terms of what you expected before? Well, one of the funny things is that um, being in France, I, I actually tend to follow the team that bit closer than uh, when I was back in the UK. So I look and sort of tap into, because uh, yeah, I'm an LFC TV member, some of the training sessions that are going on. And uh, also, I watch very closely, and so does Ray, my other half, when uh, Brendan is giving instructions on the sidelines. And uh, it's quite interesting because she noticed first, being the smart one of the two of us, that he employs neuro-linguistic programming. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's when you get part instructions, but you also employ physical contact. You, ho- you hold a hand, you put an arm around a shoulder, you, but you touch as you do this. It's, it's, uh, it's actually part, uh, originally part of a brainwashing technique. Uh, the military are very fond of it, but it also, in, employed in the right way, gets your message across that much deeper and clearer when you're dealing with people because they focus on you. And I've watched him do this and thinking, you know, that's very interesting. That's a, that's a, a great bit of technique. Uh, it was something long before it had a label that Shankly used to do. And to a degree, Bob Paisley, they were quite touchy-feely in their way. And it does make a difference. So watching him do that... Pass it, uh, in this, it's, it's interesting watching the, uh, the training sessions because he will do this. You see him giving instructions. It's very intimate, very close up, head to head, arm around the shoulder, arm holding the hand, whatever. And uh, he passes the instructions on and then he stands back and watches. And he watches. And as long as they're doing exactly as he put it, then uh, he stays clear, he's happy, he smiles, and there's a bit of banter goes on. If it doesn't work out, he goes back in again, and the same thing happens. So his uh, sort of uh, personal handling of the players is exemplary. So that was something I was really pleased to see. What he's done on the pitch is he's brought this through from the training. So by the time they go out there, they know exactly what's expected of them. They don't go out there uh, like, I, I won't drop any managers in it, but like some managers' teams do, not quite sure what it is they're supposed to be doing. When Arlock go out there now under Brendan, they have a plan. And they don't only have a team plan, they have individual plans. And you can see how that bears out when you watch them play. So 
that's quite a big thing. To do that, then to employ the style of play he wants, is a really tight little bit of programming into the place, and it works beautifully. And he, he clearly had Stevie on side, which can only be a bonus. So I'm enjoying watching a more advanced approach to the game. It's, it's funny, he's, he's sort of gone backwards to go forwards in a way, but it's, it's wonderful watching it because there is an ethos and there's a team spirit that gets built through this because they all feel like they're in it together. And, you know, we, we have that famous we go again moment, uh, which all I think comes from what's gone on on the training ground. This real work happening there, which the fans, generally speaking, don't see. Paul will know all about it because, as you say, he's, he's a coach himself. He's been in there. Um, but the work that goes in is often ignored. And people think, well, why didn't he do that on the pitch? Because they've, they've gone on there with an idea which has been well-drilled, well-trained, and it's not like a formation. It's not formation moves like you'd get, say, in American football. But it is an ethos. They know what they want to do, and they each know what their jobs are. And I've also watched this season where there's an element of what, uh, in other world of work, you might call mirroring, where one person knows the other, other person's job. So if something happens, maybe an injury, or maybe somebody's caught out of position, we get better at that, at filling in. It hasn't worked all the time, of course. We know there's been uh, defensive cock-ups now and again. But generally, it's worked very, very well. So I just I just see progress at the moment. I'm quite happy to just sit back, enjoy and watch. And for a change, in the belief that not only can we, do I, when we watch a game, do I expect us to go out and win whoever we're playing. I certainly think, well, expect might be pushing it. But I, I, I always think now... Yeah, we're in with a good chance here. We could do these, whoever they are. And just watching it and enjoying it, that's, that's a big step forward because we were so far down the road that uh, you'd be going to wonder if those days would ever come back. And here we are. Brian, um, from your point of view, obviously, you, you live in Anfield. You, 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 know, you know Liverpool inside out. It's history. It's kind of rich traditions. I don't think I've seen a, a kind of manager in a long, long time I'm not talking about Liverpool specifically, but, I'm, but a manager like Brendan Rodgers who really seems to get the club that he's with. And, and, and what I mean by that is just the kind of history and tradition and how he kind of has embraced that. What's your take on, on how, how Rodgers has done with, with, I suppose, getting Liverpool and, and, and understanding what, you know, what he's meant to do? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think Roberto Martinez over the road at Everton has, has filled a similar sort of gap over there. You know, I think... Most Evertonians, I know we're not here to talk about them particularly, but I think most Evertonians are, are very happy with the way he's, he's embraced the, the Everton culture, as it were. As far as Brendan Rodgers, yeah, it's, it's, as, I, as I alluded to before, it's the feel about the place, you know, and as Jan was just saying there, going to home games, you know, I've just renewed my season tickets last Friday. I did it, you know, on the last day, the deadline day. Big hole in my bank account, but you certainly can't, complain about the value for money we had last season the entertainment and the, and the uh, the attack and style of football which you know it's it's been a good few years we had a little bit about Roy Evans you know but we're a little bit up and down then but you know you've got, you've got to go back a long way really to the 80s to, to get that sort of feel of expectation of going to the home games every week week in week out and uh, you know knowing you're going to be entertained you know not everything goes right every time but this season, it almost did, with two exceptions. But, it, yeah, it's... Brendan Rodgers, 
he's the right man for the job at this particular time, isn't he? You know, I don't think anybody can argue with that. And uh, just tying him down for four years, it's got to be good news for everyone. Paul, again, c- coming at you from the coach's point of view, and I know that, you know, obviously when you were younger, you spent a lot of time in the corridors, you know, and, 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 and seeing the, the highs and the lows kind of up close. And from your point of view, as a coach, what what is it kind of Brendan needs to do next season to some of the players who obviously like remember like the the kind of the slip from Gerard or some of the goals that we conceded or some of that those kind of key pivotal moments from from a coaching point of view do, is there anything that you can take from either your past experience watching up close or your present experience as a coach that that maybe Brendan needs to kind of try and instill for next season? To be honest with you, that if you look at the performances over the last fifteen games of the season. I mean, the I think there was was it the last fifteen games. There was thirteen wins, one draw, one one loss. Yeah, I that, mean, if you, I think if you keep, twelve games out of fourteen. Well, yeah, well, if if you if you you know if you look at the form at the end of the season, there's not much that he needs to change. If you if you if you keep that kind of winning percentage throughout a full season, then then uh, you win the league. You know, if they played that, if they had that form throughout the whole season. You know, the, the the Liverpool would have won the league. So for me, I I don't think there's there's too much to change radically. I think if you look at the goals conceded, I think that's a a byproduct of of you know people are blaming individual defenders for 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 the errors. But I, I believe that it's more the system that we're playing exposes the defenders into to one v one situations more often, uh, and when you when we when we used to play under some previous managers, the centre backs got a lot more protection than what, what they did last season. So you, I, I don't believe that you can have as many goals as we're scoring and then you know be, be happy with as many goals as we're scoring and then complain about how many we're conceding. I think they go hand in hand with with the style that we're playing, and I think the reason we've scored so many goals is because we leave Sturridge and, and Suarez high, and then Sterling kind of floats about in the hole and tries to pick up pieces so we, we normally defend with you know seven behind the ball and, and we're, it, people are petrified of us on the on the counter attack but for me I think I think it's rather than what he's got to change I think my from a coaching perspective I'd be predicting what what opposition teams are going to do against us next year and and trying to work out how we're going to break that down because I think at the end of the season you saw people are going to come to Anfield next season and park the bus and it'll be interesting to see how we how we break teams down when they do part the bus against Newcastle on the last day of the season. We went three at the back, and 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 changed the tactics a little bit to try and to try and break down Newcastle. We end up getting two goals from set pieces. But I, I think with us getting our fear factor back, people have been scared to come to Anfield. I think I think the the key. The key planning for next season is how we're going to break down, how we're going to break teams down that, that come to Anfield and park the bus, because that's that's what's going to happen. And I think I think that's what the planning will be in the off season is is preparing for for what to expect at Anfield next season. And and the other thing as well is we're going to have to add real depth to the squad as well because we're going to be playing on a lot of fronts next year with the travel of European competition. Home games at Anfield, League Cup, FA Cup. We were quite lucky last year that towards the end of the season we we had games Saturday or Saturday or Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. We had a full week to prepare, 
now the preparation for games, tactical preparation is only going to be two or three days between games because we're going to have a lot more midweek games because we're in Europe and, and hopefully we go a little bit further in the Cups this year. So it's more about adding depth and, and then coming up with a plan to to break down deep defensive blocks that teams are going to employ at Anfield next year. And that's a really good lead into what we want to talk next. So, you know, after a long, long wait, we, we, we've kind of finally returned to the Champions League and it looks as if we're going to be seeded in, in Group 3, um, which is notoriously called the Group of Death. But I suppose what I wanted to do is open it up and, and go to you, Jan, and, and, and just kind of talk about, you know, from your point of view, what are your favourite uh, Champions League memories? Is it Liverpool, you know, um, favourite game or, or, or whatever? But but what was your kind of standout favourite memory from your time supporting Liverpool? Uh, that, that's pretty easy. The, the, I didn't miss a final. <laughs> um, but more than the finals, the one that always, and you can expect this one to stand out in the memory, was the St Etienne game. Uh, got a ticket at the last minute from a, a friend's elder brother and was in the old paddock at the front, roughly about the halfway line. And we sort of got the radio on, we're listening to scores elsewhere, and we're watching that game. And I just, for the, for the life of me, never thought we were not going to go through. My mate did. He, he, was, he was up and down like the proverbial. Uh, he's listening to Bayern Munich scores. It was his other sort of pet team. And uh, they weren't doing too well. So he says, well, we'll probably go out now as well. I said, no, I don't think so. And this is this is after who was it? Was it Battiston? I can't remember who put uh, who scored their goal. But I watched that curl way past Clemens's reach. But you just never lost faith. That was a hell of a night. Rome, nineteen seventy-seven, was another one. Oh, and what was what was one of the weirdest ones? That, uh, oh, that was one of the Eastern European trips. Um, Dinamo bicycle, or whoever it was. And uh, that was a really weird trip, to say the least, where we were farmed. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't actually in a group or anything, but I got sort of pushed into one where we were then farmed around by security guards with uh, very big Russian guns who pushed us this way and that way into the stadium, out of the stadium. The old um, Bob quote about occasionally being treated uh, as animals in the Eastern Bloc was... Not far from the truth. Never a nice trip going out there. So it'll be interesting to see how much that's, that's changed if we get out there. Because uh, it wasn't that much different a few years ago. So I'm just looking forward to I mean, Anfield nights are the best. I mean, they really are. I, I, it sounds like, uh, after Istanbul, it sounds like heresy. But I prefer them to any of the finals that I went to. Just, just watching us rip into a team. Wonderful. And Brian, obviously, you you know you you've got some great memories of the Champions League. But from you, from your point of view, what what what's kind of stand out? And and I also believe you've got a rather funny story as well um, about one night and you missed the train. <laughs> oh yeah, that was palatable. Yeah, there's there's so many. You know, there's, there's, a lot of them have been done to death. Obviously, Istanbul and Chelsea, Juventus in, in two thousand and five, and then this there's all the finals and there's just just so many. You know, it, <laughs> but. To be honest, I'd, I'd rather go back to basically at the bit. We've just beaten Inter Milan in 65, not knocked out there. And, and the, my first memory of European Cup, as it was then, was was Ajax, actually, in 66, which didn't end so well, like, but, well, it didn't on the night, but 
long term, it had a great effect on the way we played European football, to be honest, because I think Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley sat down after that game uh, and, and something struck home with them. You know, we, we obviously, everything everyone knows that we went there. Um, we got thumped 5-1 in a, a game where they, you, you couldn't see anything. Fuck he is, yeah. yeah they actually had the commentator on the TV, man. Uh, commentator. <laughs> For the crowd in Ajax in Amsterdam that night, the, the, the club president went up and asked him to to commentate so the crowd could tell what was happening. We we'd gone into that that season. Don't forget, England had won the World Cup in '66. We got to December. We 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 got to the semi-final against Inter two years before. We'd been to our first European final in Amden Park in the Cup Winners' Cup that that summer. We we were like probably the favoured team in Europe. We were the, one of the big boys in there. Ajax had only, I think their first season in Europe, they, they just won their first European match. And they went into that game, we, we, they were wearing white, we were wearing red, you couldn't bloody see us, to be honest, from, from the pictures I've seen, you just see the white shirts. And within like, half time, we're 4 0 down. And uh, I was reading a story a while ago, Louis Van Gaal, who's in the news now, obviously, he was a 15 year old in the Ajax Academy at the time, and he couldn't get a ticket, and he was really keen to come watch Liverpool because he'd heard so much about them. So he, he, he actually bunked in. He, he said he looked for the um, he looked for the gate with the oldest steward on and uh, basically pegged it past him knowing that the steward wouldn't catch him. So uh, he was in watching that game. And we, we, we got 4-0 down first half and, and we, you know, apparently by all accounts we, we were probably on top in the second half but we just get, couldn't get any goals back. And by the time we did get one in the last two minutes we were 5-0 down by that point. Shankly says he came on the pitch at one point and uh, the physios were going on and off the pitch and the referee hadn't spotted. But the thing that I remember, I remember it, was a, it was the proper first Anfield European night for me, the second leg. We got there. Shank, Shankly said after the game, you know, we'll beat them 7 0 <laughs> in his own inimitable way. He said, we'll beat them 7 0 in return. He, he, he said their goalkeeper he wouldn't even get in the amateur team in England. <laughs> he said, he's hopeless. We're going to get seven. So every, they turned up, and it was the days before computerised turnstiles, and the cop was absolutely heaving. I, I know we, we, we've learnt lessons since then about Hillsborough and that, but those, I, I don't know what happened that night, but they were absolutely crammed in the cop. And they, they were, luckily, there was no fences in them days, just had that small dwarf on the front. And by the time they kicked off, I, I was in the stand there, the main stand. By the time they kicked off, they'd overspilt onto the track behind the, the cop goal. And they were right on the touchline, literally had to move people to take corners. Now, we, we played in gold shirts that night at Anfield, the only time we've ever played in an away kit at Anfield. And that was because in those days, the rule was the away team had to change. Um, and obviously, they had white shirts with the red stripe on. Joe Fagan's <laughs> Joe Fagan missus had to go into town the, the day before the game. She went to Jack Sharp's to buy the kits. Didn't have badges or nothing on. They just had gold kits with black shorts and amber socks. Uh, I say they didn't have badges or not, and I just sewed the numbers on. Went into Jack Sharp's, got 12 shirts, and uh, sewed the numbers on the way they went. But we, 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 the, the atmosphere, you know, for well, I was 10 then, the atmosphere then, it was something else for me, a night match. Absolutely, there was steam coming out the cop. They, they, you know, they were, Shankly had convinced us all we were going to win. And we went at them like, uh, we came out the traps like a, a, an express train. We hit the post twice in the first 20 minutes, but it wasn't as B, and it was nil in at half time. And, Johan Cruyff, it was unknown until that night. He scored early in the second half, and even though Hunt scored two, he finished 2 2. And um, apparently, Shankly went into the dressing room. Ryanus Michels was their manager then. 
and it was it was actually credited if you leave if you leave anything on Dutch football that night was it's credited with the the birth of the total football which took the uh, Dutch team to to great heights in the early seventies and the Ajax team. Shankly, he went in congratulating them, and I think you know again I've read somewhere that Bob Paisley and Joe Fagan, uh, Joe Fagan and Phil Shankly sat down the next day and said, "There's more to this European football. You can't just batter teams. You've got to keep the ball." You give the ball away, you won't get it back. And it, it was a big, big turning point for us. It was a big turning point for me, like because it, it was to me, it was like, oh, this is what European football is all about. It was a bit of a, a, a brought us down to earth a little bit. I mean, it, it was going to take us another eleven years before we won the European Cup. But yeah, you know, it, memories like that. You know, even though we lost, and at the time I was probably, I probably went home and cried. But looking back, it was just a fantastic night, you know. I wanted to add something to that too, uh, going from what Bry's just been saying. The first, for me, version of that sort of post-Ajax, pro-European Liverpool team was, do you, I don't know if Bry was at this game, the uh, Bayern Munich game where Alan Evans got a hat-trick. Yeah, 3-0, yeah. 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 Now, we absolutely... Bayern Munich were a big team in Europe then. We were still just getting our boots back together after a, a rather flat end to the 60s. And we absolutely played them off the park. And, you know, everybody of a certain age still regards that as Evans' best game in a red shirt. But he was absolutely brilliant. But so were the wingmen, so was the midfield. Uh, you saw players who went on to have massive reputations thereafter, some of them already did, like Beckenbauer and Breitner, yeah. not getting a sniff. Gerd Muller. Uh, yeah. Gerd Muller, yeah. yeah and Seth Meyer and goal. <laughs> uh, exactly. And I, I remember watching Clem walking up and down the six-yard box, putting his cap on, taking his cap off, uh, throwing it into the back of the net. A few minutes later, he'd go back and get it and put it back on again. And uh, he, even occasionally turning around, this is when they're... We were attacking the cup end, t- talking to the Anfield Road end. And <laughs> somebody I knew who was uh, in the Anfield Road end heard him say to some Bayern Munich fans, I don't speak German, because <laughs> they were shouting something at him. He doesn't know what it was. But we just, he ne- he was never really troubled in that game. I think he had about three or four shots to save, and, and out of that, only one good one. So that was that was. The new Shankly's Reds, the sort of post-60s Reds, when they were first really beginning to gel, and boy, did they take off. That was, yeah. that was really quite something. Yeah, just if I can interject again, I, I went down to Belfield that after, well, earlier that day. I'm not sure it was the day before. Or I think it was actually the day of the match to watch them. They trained at Everton's training they ground. They did, yeah. Bayern Munich and uh, I got, I've still got the autograph book here with Gate Moore and Seth Meyer and Franz Beckenbauer and a few others who we, I don't know who the hell they are but yeah I've got the autographs in my book there from when I was a young lad yeah. Brilliant and Paul um, obviously you've seen a lot of these kind of nights and whatever but, but what stands out to you as your kind of uh, like the, the key thing that stands in your mind from all that time you've watched Liverpool I think I think that I think the ex- it's more about the experience than the game itself for me I mean the I mean, everyone will talk about Istanbul, but it was, it was great for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, it was the the. I mean, the, when we we flew in and then the the stadium wasn't finished and we, there was only one road into the stadium, and I remember there was a few of us. I went with my sister Kelly and and we were driving into the stadium and people were selling, people were selling crates of beer on the side of the the road for for the buses coming in. 
So somebody's jumped off the bus and ran and come back on the bus and we're drinking this beer and we look at it and someone had done us, hadn't they, sold us non-alcoholic beer. So we're, we're drinking that and then we get into the steam and then we're 3-0 down at half-time. And I was actually with my friends and we were talking, we were just went up, there was a concourse, went up at the top and the stadium wasn't finished. There was boxes dropped everywhere and we're sitting there and just, you know, talking about we've come all this way over here and then, then you'll never walk alone started. And I think that's probably, for me, the the moment when you'll never walk alone started at half-time sums up everything what, what being a Liverpool fan's all about. You know, no matter where, no matter what you're up against, no matter what the situation, doesn't matter. The, the bigger picture is you're part of something special, which is Liverpool Football Club. And, and for me, that was my most memorable European experience. Not so much the game itself, but the... The you'll never walk alone moment at half time because it, you know, for for a lot of people that, you know, of my generation, it was when we were growing up, it was a way of life. It was the way you acted. It was everything about following Liverpool was a massive part of your life. And, and for me, that's, that's summed up the highs and lows of of being a Liverpool football club, being a Liverpool football club fan. And, and that was a moment that I'll, I'll never forget because even me, I, I was. I was, you know, full of doubt and full of anger at half time. And then when that started it just kinda made me realise that we try and we try and act a little bit differently as Liverpool Football Club supporters and and, and the, the the players certainly responded to it in the second half. It's interesting because that was my sort of first ever, hopefully not the last, but the first ever kind of European Cup I, I, I got to see because in, in nineteen eighty four, um that was the year I was born, um and then that was the the last European Cup success up until um, two thousand and five, and and the game that stands out for me, um, even much as the the atmosphere at Chelsea, we, we, you know, was incredible, and that the night at Anfield against Chelsea, it was probably that Olympiacos match, because before it there was a lot of kind of negativity in the press. The the season wasn't going wonderfully, it certainly wasn't bad, but it wasn't great by any, any good standards. And then I remember Stephen Gerrard gave an interview. And he said, um, you know, tomorrow I, I really don't want to wake up and find myself back in the UEFA Cup. And you could just see that, you know, there was a lot of kind of expectation around there. You were kind of wondering, are oh, the, the, these players that we've got at the minute, Gerard, is he going to stay? Um, will, will this be the thing that tips him over the edge? Because at the time, I, I think people forget, you know, especially some of the younger fans, is just how good Gerard was back then. You know, he, he was just incredible. Um, and by no means was it was he ever at his best at that point either. But it, but he really was an incredible player. And um, people talk about Ross Barkley these days, but you, you, you take you give me Stephen Gerrard and a kind of inform wonderful Stephen Gerrard, and he was just it's like nothing I've ever seen. And um, I'll never forget when when Neil Mellor came on, and you know I, I was in the stand and I thought, oh God, you know, is this all we've got? You know, because because Neil, you know, bless him, I, I thought you know Neil w- w- was really effective. He, he'd scored a goal not long before that either. I think it was against Arsenal. And that was a brilliant Arsenal side, a great Arsenal side. And it was it was one of these goals that you could try a hundred times and probably never ever score just because of the likelihood that they'll save it. And then, and then he came on and I think he got the first goal and then he, he kinda nodded the ball down for Gerard to get that incredible goal. And I just remember that that was my first kind of time of, of saying, you know what, I, I really believe in this. And it set it up so brilliantly. And then people forget the you know, people talk about the, the final but there were some incredible games, you know, some really, really great teams that we put to bed, you know, Chelsea, and we managed to grind out a result there. And we, we, you know, 
at the time, I think, um, Juventus, you know, they had <laughs> Ibrahimovic leading the line, you know, to, and to beat them. I remember, was it, um, was it Hippia's goal? I'm, I'm sure against Juventus, but I remember when that went and just thinking, oh, you know, I really couldn't see any other result. And then again, leading up to the final, I, I, I had a ticket for the final and I got ill. And I remember going to the doctors and, you know, a couple of days before, and I was like, look, you've got to get me better. I've got to be there. And the doctor said, look, there's, there's just no chance. There's absolutely no chance, mate. And I, I remember it was the most gutting, gutting thing. And I was sitting there at half time thinking, you know what, this is probably probably a good buddy thing because I'd managed to sell my ticket and I'd managed to, to do everything. So I never lost out any money. But I, I remember after the game, I, I was so, so delighted that we'd won, but I was absolutely devastated that I hadn't managed to make it there. And uh, it, it's just incredible when 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 you now get to see people coming on on the run that we are going, about to go on. You know, it's, it's one of these things. It's just great. I mean, um, Paul... You've you've talked about this um, just before we we started to talk about the Champions League, but how difficult will it be from from Rogers' point of view next season to have accommodate these European games? Because you know we are going to be in a tough group. Um, I think the best case scenario is that you know we end up getting teams like Benfica and so on, but they're still good teams. You know, do, do you think that we can realistically put in a kind of another league challenge? as well as sort of kind of giving a credible account of ourselves in the Champions League. I don't think anybody's thinking that we can go on and win it. But we haven't really done well in cup competitions like up until Rodgers. And I would just ask, is, is there maybe a different way of playing? I think Benitez seemed to kind of have cup competitions worked out to a tee where you have an away type of kind of game and you have a home game where you play slightly differently. Do you think that's going to be what Rodgers does or, or, or how do you see it playing out? I think the teams that normally do well are the teams that, that have larger squads that can rotate because there's there's no I mean it's the recovery time with the travel isn't enough um, between big games and I think the the most important thing before we before we set our expectations of what to expect during the season is to is to see what players we get coming in um, because the we got away with having a really small squad last season because we were only really in the in the after the later, later part of the season we were only really fighting one battle, which was the which was the the Premier League. I think once you once you start fighting battles on a lot of fronts, you need more troops, and and we certainly need reinforcements coming in coming in during the summer. And I think once we see the quality of of the additions to the squad that are made during the summer then we can set our expectations but it'd be very unrealistic to think we could we could uh, compete on all fronts with with the squad that we've got at the moment and and Brian coming to you I mean I suppose who are you most looking forward to seeing in the Champions League next season and if I was to give you kind of you, you could pick three teams that you wanted to play against next season who would they be I don't care to be honest <laughs> I seriously don't care I'm just <laughs> I, I haven't given any thought you know what I mean I, I think we just got to take whoever we get yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I say, harking back again about memories. It's, it's sometimes, like, some I've got memories of Red Star Belgrade coming and absolutely playing us off the bat. And even again, even though it was a disappointment that night, I think it was nineteen seventy-three. You know, it was. I, I was blown away by them. Just the, the speed. It was just. It was like some. It was like we playing somebody who was just playing five aside. They just did one two. It was all over the pitch. You know, and this was we we were almost reaching our peak at that time. <laughs> we just couldn't live with them. It was ridiculous. Dynamo Tbilisi did the same. We we, we 
we beat them 2-1 at home actually but they were fantastic you know and uh, we went over there and they got beat 3-0 that might have been the game that uh, Jan was talking about they beat us 3-0 the return which which you know wasn't unexpected after what we'd seen at Anfield so it's it's hard to know you know I mean who, who would have thought Atletico would have been as good as they were this season so obviously we want to avoid Barcelona and Real Madrid in the in the group stage if we can but you know luckily we're not going to get Man City we can't get English teams in the uh, thingy so we, PSG we, we're going to get as you say we're going to get someone out of pot one we're going to get someone out of pot two so there's two good teams and he, he, there's probably you know somebody in pot four Monaco I think are in there aren't they so we, we could absolutely be in the group of death but I'm just glad to be back. It's just going to be great. And, and, and to be honest, we play, we play big teams. We'll raise our game because the crowd will be up for it. You know, you, you'd rather sometimes you'd rather be playing PSG at Anfield than staying grat to someone because people think, oh, yeah, you're going to roll them over or basic tasks or something like that. So, yeah, come on, bring it on. I, I just can't wait. I can't wait. Literally, Anfield on the floodlights with that Champions League music. And the big thing on the centre circle, and all the little kids waving it. Oh, just get it, just just let us have it. We've waited, you know, we've only been out a few years, but it seems like forever, doesn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, I think coming on to the poll point, um, point, sorry, poll, uh, the point Paul made, um, get that one out earlier on around about the the kind of squad that we're going to have next season is going to be kind of pivotal to, to how we, we set our expectations. I mean, there's been lots of paper talk. Quite a few of the kind of credible journalists, such as uh, Tony Barrett, Chris Bascom, the, the the guys in the Echo, James Pierce, and Neil Jones, and um, they've talked that, around the fact that there may well be as many up to kind of 14 players out this season. Now, obviously, we're talking around some peripheral players who haven't featured this season, but also some kind of squad players as well. Um, and and one of the things that I wanted to cover here is actually, you know. What is it we should be looking for next season? Because, you know, um, th- th- there's links to Emre Khan, Adam Lallana, um, and I think there's kind of a number of eyebrows being raised at the minute as to say, well, what 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 is it these players add? And, and I suppose coming to you, Jan, what is it you think that we're trying to aim to do this summer? And and, and, and what is that type of kind of profile of player that we're looking for? Ah, this the $64 million question or the $25 million quid question, if you like. Um it's quite simple for me. Um, I believe what we're after, I have fairly good reason to believe, uh, is high-quality players, but whether their names or not is immaterial. They're being brought in to fit a template, to fit a way of being, a way of playing, a whole club ethos and a whole team ethic. And they add that they must add quality to what already exists. So no stocking fillers, no bench warmers. There will be squad depth improvers. But the thing is to bring in either first teamers or first team alternates to go back to Paul's point of rotation, uh, who add a quality but get what we're after. So anybody who's thinking, oh, you know, Firmino or whatever, you know, that you could get him for twenty that's not the point. The point is they have to fit what you're trying to do. And that's what we've been spending an awful lot of time looking for. Now, I don't know, for example, if this Lalana rumour or not is true. Uh, it might well be, it might well not be. But what we pay for him is immaterial in as much as, A, we can afford it anyway. But B, we pay for him what we think he's worth to the overall picture once he's in. 
And of course, in the end, the fee is not really the issue unless it's mental anyway. It's the wage that counts, but you know, the headline figure is what grabs the news. But what we're, what we're after is quality. Now, that's not necessarily my idea of quality or your idea of quality or the fan on the streets idea of quality. It's what the scouts and Brendan have decided is what this team, this setup, this method of playing requires to make it up a percent, however much. And then you add somebody else who brings it up another few percent. So what you've got is the same way of playing, but with a bit more option, a bit more depth, a bit more resilience. And that's the way you move forward. You don't just bring in names. I don't think that works. <laughs> well, look, look, look at Real Madrid. They've just won uh, their 10th. But it took 12 years to get back there. And despite that, in between times, they've had every name under the sun playing for them. It doesn't always work. What you have to have is the team. And the team is what it's, uh, it's all about. And I think if that's the way they're going, which I'm reliably told it is, then I, I know I'm all in favour of it. I think that's the logical, sensible approach to do. Build bit by bit, block by block. It, there's, there's two sides to this equation. You know, we all know we need to strengthen that, but we've got FFP in here, and, and by all accounts, we 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 could have fallen foul of that last year if we'd been in Europe. And we're we're not the biggest spenders by any means. We 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 need to. It's easy saying fourteen players are going to go out. If you're a journalist, it's easy saying Liverpool are looking. You know, fourteen players could leave, but you've actually got to get them out. They may be serviced to requirements. They may not be. But, you, you know, it's it, we're not playing fantasy football here. You can't just go, oh, don't want him, don't want him. You know, did Glenn Johnson, you know, he, who knows? It, it may be that he, he's, he's uh, they would accept offers for him. But if he's on 120, 130 grand a week, you've got to find someone. You know, he, if he doesn't want to take a drop in wages, he doesn't go anyway. He stays where he wants. And, you know, he, that, could, that could apply to a few players, whether they're on big money or... But if the deal's not right for them, they're not going to go. So... It's easy saying, you know, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him, we replace him. There's a juggling act here, so I'm, I'm sure we, we, we've all heard the names. Emery Khan, I, I wouldn't profess to know much about him. In fact, I wouldn't have known his name two weeks ago. Um, Marino, the left-back, sounds good. He looked okay from what I saw of him in the, the Europa League final. But, you know, the, these, these players, obviously, I, I'm basing it on YouTube clips and a couple of glimpses. The club have looked at these players, and as Jan says, they've got to fit the profile, and they've got to fit. There's probably psychological bloody analysis done on players as well these days. I would have thought, um, but but yeah, it's it's easy for us to sit sit and say we should have him, we should pay this for him, get rid of him. But it's not as easy as that, you know. No. Like Lalana, for instance, he, if Pochettino goes to Tottenham tomorrow, Tottenham will just bank 15 million. From add-ons with Gareth Bale and uh, Modric because they won the Champions League, that 15 million quid's going straight in his transfer pot. He could go in for Lalana. He could outbid us. Fair enough. Uh, if we, if we, the one thing you can say about FSG, they generally put a price on a player, and they, 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 they basically that's what they're prepared to pay. We've seen it with Konoplyanka and Mkhitaryan and Co. and people and William and you know people criticise for missing out on these, but you've you've got to you've got to. You've got to admire them all. They're the businessmen, these guys. They're not, they're not, you know, as I say, we're not playing fantasy football. It's a business to run in here. We've got to balance the books. We've got to get quality. I'm sure they've got a shopping list. It's not just all their eggs in one basket. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't take too much note of 
the stuff you read in the papers. Paul doesn't because he doesn't get our papers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I suppose coming to you, Paul, like from, from a kind of coach's perspective, what would you see as um, the the kind of players that we need, or, or not even players, but but kind of key positions that we need to improve on next season? Um, obviously we've talked about squad depth, but is there particular areas that you'd look at our starting eleven and think actually, um, you know, we could do with something here, or we could do with a little bit more depth here? Well, there's, there's, for me, I, I always look and I look at it in two ways. I look at it if, if if we're going to continue to play the four four two diamond, then you need to to find the correct pl- player profiles to play that way and and to to continue being effective. I think the four four two diamond's been hugely beneficial for Jordan Henderson because he's got great legs to be able to to be able to not only attack but defending a four four two diamond because if you don't have legs on the outside of your diamond then you, they can't get across the pitch to put pressure on on the advancing uh, fullbacks and, and then you, you end up with a stretched diamond in the middle of the field and, and they'll pass through you um, so it's the key to it is I mean that's why Lalana I think is so high on on the wish list because he does have the legs to play on the outside of a diamond uh, or at the top of a diamond and and because there's so much running that has to be done in the diamond. To be able to play that way, there's, there's so much running that has to be done, especially during transition. Um, so I, I think it would be finding the player profiles um, to, that, can, that can fit into the system that we're playing at the moment if we're going to continue to play that. And, you, and if you're looking in the squad, Steven Gerrard and, and Lucas you know, are, are the, only, the only two really people that can play at the base of the diamond and then you start looking at the outside of the diamond we've, we've not got too many we've got not got too many players that can play in those midfield roles so I, I think central midfield is definitely a priority if we're going to continue playing the way we're playing and also somebody who can give a little bit of cover or a rest to Suarez and Sturridge if, if, if that comes and then the other way I look at it as well is if he wants to change the system and he wants to play different formations. I, I know he went to three at the back in, in the last game of the season. We toyed with three at the back at the beginning of the season. Then it's finding the player profiles that allow tactical variations. So, do we even can he find player profiles that allow him to to change tactics, especially in these European games where I'd imagine there's a lot more tactics going to be involved. Finding the player profiles to 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 allow us to change tactics to to maximise our chances of winning in these European games. And I think even when you think back to Rafa, he tried to get very hard to get Gareth Barry because he, he wanted that balance within the 4-2-3-1. He wanted a left-footed player in central midfield. And uh, I think once a, once a manager knows what what player he wants for the for the ta- for the tactical variations, then then they'll go after them pretty hard. So I, I think I think we definitely need some the right player profiles for whichever way Brendan wants to go I think Paul just to ask out of interest obviously you've been a player um, you understand what it's like to be in a dressing room and for there to be speculation <coughs> and so on well what's happening right now and I'm not asking like specifics around Liverpool but I'm just saying from from what you obviously know of, of kind of being a, a player you know are there agents kind of doing overtime at the minute are they putting kind of players over managers desks are they having chats what, what, what typically happens over this particular period and from a player how does it feel to, to kind of have an uncertain future well I think that 
it used to be that the scouting the scouting network was was very very important but with you know the world's got smaller with technology and now you've got you've got scouting scouting uh, programs things like Y Scout Scout 7 these 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 uh access to games that clubs have now they pay a subscription and you can watch any game in the world anywhere so that there isn't really that many secrets anymore uh with that combined with agents and promoting players the scouting the scouts job are really not so much to find players anymore but to analyze players that are presented to you because with obviously you every all of us we hear a name put it into youtube and we watch a highlights tape of the player the professional teams have a, a much more a much more in-depth way of doing it with with the with the software and the computer programs that they have to to view games and then you've got the agents the agents are constantly phoning up clubs and it's not even the manager that deals with it so much the manager's got so many other responsibilities that there's nobody somebody that is the point of contact for agents to call to recommend players so what normally happens now is a a, a player will an agent will phone a club and say look we might be able to get this player out of this situation for X amount of money, his wages demands would be this amount of money. Do you have an interest? And an analyst's team will will then will then you know analyze the player, present it to the manager, and then you know decisions are made. But the the days of unearthing some secret player are really gone now. So that's kind of that's kind of the way it works. But from a player's point of view, the players the players have got so much power now that. You know, it's it's very very rare that you see a situation that we had with Suarez, where the owner says you're not going. Most players tend to get what they want nowadays, and and a player will know when the when the season ends that they want to try and get out or they want to try and go somewhere else, or they're not in the plans. And it's normally the the players instruct the agents to try and find them somewhere else. And Paul, obviously, you know, you you've moved yourself. What what is it like for a you know a lot of people talk about settling in. Um, and and it taking time for a player to adjust to a club, a certain way of working, the manager, um, and and everything that surrounds it. H- how does it feel as a player to, to to be on that move? So if we're looking at incoming players potentially, what's likely um, to be to be going through their head, and 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 what are the kind of various challenges that you need to try and deal with? Well, I mean, I moved on transfer deadline day myself, so I was, I kind of went through that. Uh, and I remember I was training, I think I was in at the stadium at Livingston, and uh, they told me about interest from Hibs, and, but the offer was too low, and they, they weren't going to accept it, and, and Hibs had, uh, Livingston had offered me a new contract at the time, and I said, well, look, I'm not going to sign a new contract, and you know I'm free, I'm free at the end of the season anyway, so it'd be, you know, I, I, and I, I want to go, Hibs was, uh, I was older, I was older at the time and I didn't really have time time on my hands to, to kind of wait to the end of the season. I, I wanted to get to, to a bigger club and and, and uh, I, I kind of went and met with the chief exec and said, look, I, I really want to go. And, and she uh, she ended up pushing the deal through for us and accepting the offer. And I think I got to, to Easter Road about midnight or just before midnight or whatever time it was. I got there late anyway and we managed to get the deal done before the deadline, but it was, it was you know you you know what you want, it, but it was it was easier for me because I you know I I could drive, I didn't have to worry too much about where I was going to live or moving house or I didn't have kids in school that needed to move school. My wife 
you know, I didn't, I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have a wife that maybe needed to get another job or, or whatever. You know, it was, it was a fair, fairly simple one because it was, it wasn't far from from the other place. But there's a lot of things that go into it. So th- these things happen. The players know, know what they want to do. I think. So I mean, the the players, the players have the power nowadays and and uh, normally get what they want. And I suppose just, you know, looking at another kind of element here, obviously the. The kind of pressure of coming to Liverpool um, is is really up a notch, and and what is it you think the club does these days to try and adjust the player into life in the city? Is it eased in slowly, or are you just kind of unleashed, you know, and, and to get, kind of get on with your own devices, or is there a kind no. of support network there? Yeah. That- that, that kind of tells you all about kind of yeah what uh, yeah they have uh, especially at Liverpool they have people that it's their job to make sure that players that come from from uh, different countries or different parts of the country make sure they settle in make sure they help them you know with the make sure they help them with the move help them make you know make sure that the the kids can find a school that they can find a house and you know, if they need cars or mobile phones set up, anything that they need to do. You know, there's a lot of immigration things as well sometimes, uh, visas, and, and, and people are actually employed full-time to, to help people settle in. Uh, and also, uh, I know at uh, um, Melwood, they have, you know, the, the, the players can bring the kids to the, to the training ground and the, there's, there's girls that look after the kids for the, for the players as well. So there's, I mean, the, it's a, you know, it's a full-time job for people now to make sure that players that sign for new clubs at, at the Premier League level are, are made to feel very welcome and, and make that transition easier. So the, the, the only thing they have to worry about is their, is their on-field performance. And guys, you know, we've been on for a little while now, but um, I suppose one of the, the last questions I'm going to go and ask all of you is probably twofold. Um We've talked about not being able to set an expectation until we know uh, what players were going to come in. But what, I suppose, Brian, coming to you, what what would you hope that uh, Liverpool um, would be hoping to do um, next season? What what would be the kind of minimum um, for you in terms of where we finish next season? Do we do we take a cup run? And and then the second part of that question is if you could name one player currently about today who who you wanted in, and has to be a realistic player. Who would that player be and why? Starting with next season's expectations, I just want us to be in contention again. If we're if we're in contention, you know, if our season isn't over in March, that that to me is a big plus. If we're, if we're in contention, because you know it's easy. Oh, we're second this year. We've got to go one better. I'm sure that's the aim, but we have to be realistic. We're we're, we're matching up against some serious resources here. Man, Man City. They're you know, basically financed by a Middle Eastern country. So their uh, checkbook is, is unlimited. We we have to match that with with different sort of skills and, and so so yeah. It's for me, as long as we're in contention, we, we get out the group stage, get in the knockout stage in Champions League. That'd be great. You know, you said before. I don't think anyone sees they expect us to win it. Look, I, I know <laughs> until we get knocked out, I'll be expecting us to win it. So um, players wise. James Milner, you know, I'd love James Milner in our team just just because he could cover a few, a few positions. This this word that he, he wants to leave, Man City need to keep him, and they're going to keep him in his last year's contract just because he, he helps with their quota of English players, him and Mika Mika Richards. So, but yeah, you know, I, I've always had a soft spot for, for James Milner. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but 
he moves the ball quickly. He, he's adaptable. He, he, he's a, to me, he seems a clever player. So to me, that that would be a realistic one. I, and I'd like to see some of our young players like Ive Jordan Ive coming through. Like we, we obviously in the the League Cup this year, we're got, that's going to be an opportunity for a lot of young players. We'll bring some of them back from loan. Sure, Andre Wisdom will come back. Uh, maybe Barini will come back. Um, I, I think we probably need another forward as well, an option. But but you know, just for the League Cup and maybe the FA Cup, if we're still in Europe, it'll give it'll give those lads a chance to to get some some Anfield action. You know, Jordan Roster, Cameron Brannigan, Ryan McLaughlin. There's some good lads there. They just we just need to see whether they can take that next step. And Jan, the same question to you, mate. Uh, uh, well, to carry on from where Brian left off there, I think uh, a lot of the guys we've had out on loan uh, have done very, very well. Uh, they, they're coming back alone gives us a little bit of extra strength and a little bit of extra depth, but of course we do need to add to that. One player for me, uh, somebody I know we've had an eye on and been talking to the club about for quite some time, Lars Bender. Because I think he would be, he would fit perfectly the profile as described by Paul earlier. Um, I've watched him a lot. I see what he does. I see what he can bring. And I think he would, he would be one of those ones who could be a first teamer or a first team alternate. And, is he, uh, he'd is be, he the one? Sorry, is on. he the one off Future Armour? <laughs> no, not the robot. <laughs> <laughs> Might be made of metal. I don't know, um, but no, he would he would be the sort of player I'd be looking for. He's a, he's a, a name, but he's not a huge name. But his quality and what he brings to a team is uh, beyond doubt. So that would be good for me. Um, I'd like to see also uh, people like uh, Suso getting back involved in a big way. Andre Wisdom, yeah, I, I'm quite happy to see him. And some of the other kids coming through, Jordan Ibe. Um, Brannigan, uh, and he, even uh, in the League Cup, somebody like Rossiter getting a run out, get, get, get him blooded in the first team, let him get tested a bit. Uh, where what would we like? Where would I like to see us finish? Well, I take the old Shankly view, just first of all, you avoid relegation. Secondly, you qualify for Europe. Thirdly, you go and win something. In the, in that order, so basically, you tick it off as you go through the season. Um, I think. Realistically, we have to be top four again. Uh, like uh, Brian, I'd love to see us still challenging in March and April. I think if we build correctly, if we add that little bit of extra quality and we avoid too many injuries, it really is a case of you just don't know because we could go on and do something very special. We're on the cusp of that. If we recruit properly, if we stay fit, if we uh, manage to go back to Paul earlier, um, if we manage to make sure we solve any problem of somebody coming and parking the bus, it, it really is onwards and upwards. We should be going forward. I think we will. It's a question of how much can we push against what uh, other teams do. But I tell, tell you what, this, this is an interesting, this is the French point of view. Uh, Liverpool are quite the rave over here at the moment. There's lots of people who want to talk to you about them saying, oh, we're scared of them if we get them in Europe. And God, don't they play fantastic football. So we are a name again. You don't always get that when you're back in England. You don't get the foreign perspective. But we're, some, we're seen as something a bit special. So who knows? 
It's an interesting point you made there, Jan, about being something a bit special because it's now now that we're back in the Champions League feed, and quite often I'll follow it, and you, you know you see people being mentioned from all the kind of clubs in the current competition, and now that now that we're back in there, now that um, we've, we've kind of reached that again, um, they're starting to pick up any news about Liverpool. So even the kind of that this kind of rumor that Barcelona wanted to have a look at Cameron Brannigan and whatever was all in the FIFA feed. Um, and and it's great because again, even stuff like that, even Brendan Rodgers getting his new contract again being announced on these kind of uh, channels, get, gives us an access to kind of um, a platform that we've not been in for a long, long time. So I think you are right. I, I think we we are a name again. Um, Paul, just the same question that, that I had to the to, to Brian and Jan. Um, what are your expectations for the season? And and if you could have one or two players, who would you like them to be? Well, just going on some of the names that have been mentioned, I think Pedro would be a a great fit if he's surplus to requirements at, at Barcelona. I think he's he's uh, the perfect. I think he's the perfect player profile for for us with with a, a kind of forward that's comfortable in wide areas, great finisher, great work rate uh, that you need in a four four two diamond. I think he'd be he'd be great for us, and I and I think the. You know, I think Lalan is another one that's a, a great player profile for us for us as, as well because I think he's got great legs to play in that diamond. And then you know, I I, I think he's going to Man United by all accounts. But the the left back, the left back at Southampton's got a I think he's right up uh, Liverpool Street and Brendan Street, a young player um, that's got a lot of improving to do. Sure, I think he'd he'd be outstanding. You know, but I I don't see Southampton selling. Uh, Southampton, uh, it's going to be hard for them to sell all their assets in one summer, um, and I think that they're going to be very expensive if you want to deal with them. They're going to lose two players, but well, I think those those three would be great would be great uh, player profiles. And you know, I, I think that uh, if we got anybody like them, then I think they'd be great additions. And, and I think somebody said it earlier, I don't know who it was, but we can't. We've got good enough players in our academy. I think coming through, if you look at Ibe and, and players, that we don't need to just bring in numbers. We need to bring in people that are genuinely going to improve the squad. I think as a Liverpool, um, as a Liverpool kind of supporter for years, we we send we tended to sell players and just bring in players that weren't much different to to what we already had, and we just kind of stayed the same for for a lot of years. And and I, I think that it's important that if we are and I think FSG have done brilliantly at this. Is they, they've not they've taken emotion out of the decisions, and they, they've not been held to ransom over players. They've got a price that they'll play for a certain need of the squad, and, and they won't go above that. And I think that's huge because then when the right player does come up with the right value, then they can they've got the money to spend it. They haven't wasted it on on trying to get somebody that was overpriced, you know. And I think they've done brilliantly in those regards. So for me, it's. Uh, just trying to make sure that the players that we bring in are actually better than the ones that we've we've already got. Just on that point that you made about the the kind of the, the deals, Paul, and not squandering money. I mean, so some people would say that potentially last summer, um, if you look at who came into the starting eleven and who actually made a bit of a difference over the season, out of um, the what was it? You had Minule, you had Sacco, um, you had Moses who came on on loan. We had uh, Aspas, Luis Alberto, Sissoko, five five players, and 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 actually putting Sissoko even into the equation because you know he sort of grew into his time at Liverpool. But 
Um, that that's probably three players out of six who improved us. Do, do, do we do we need to have a better strike rate next season in terms of of, of deemed a success or? You know, obviously it's difficult going from you, you can't judge a player on one season as you said they probably need a year to grow on but if we want to hit the ground running next season do we need to kind of up that strike rate well I think I think for me that when you read those names out the, I think last summer was a different situation where we needed numbers we, we didn't have enough players we had a very small squad and, and, and we'd, we'd got rid of a lot of players and, and we needed we needed numbers I think this is a a different situation. I think we need quality now. We've we've got numbers. We've got squad players. We 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 genuinely need numbers now. And and um, apart from Sacco, really, would it be right in saying that most of them were weren't too expensive? weren't weren't players that are gonna that you'd you'd lose too much money if they didn't work out. On oh, and I know Moses was alone. Sissoko was alone. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's important that. You know we, that we we don't waste money on on squad players and 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 then prevent ourselves from buying that world class player if they become available. And I think that's a great point, and you're absolutely right. We 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 need to, you know, I think stick to our principles and and so on. And uh, you know, it kind of looks as if hopefully we'll be doing that. So, guys, I just want to thank you all for being on the show tonight. You've you've shared some incredible memories. I'm sure Brian's ones and and Jan's ones are going to go down an absolute hit for people who. Who never knew what it was like back then? So thank you very much, guys. And Paul, look, it's always good for you to be on the show. Um, send our love to your dad, um, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see you next week at some point. So thanks very much, guys. It's been the Anfield Index podcast. Good night. <laughs>